Romans 3, uh, 27 through 31. Here's what God's word says. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, we're in Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 27 to 31. Of course, I want to uh, thank Seth for preaching last week. Did a fantastic job. If he keeps that up, he'll do it all the time. So keep at it. You know, thanks, Seth. We appreciate that very much. We're going to talk about rules this morning. We all love rules. I know all of you guys just came in here just jonesing to get a list of rules on. You love rules. You love being told what to do. You love being told what you can't do. Um, I'm kidding, right? I know, I know you're Southern Oregonians. I've always said this. How do you get somebody from Southern Oregon to do something? Tell them to do the opposite. And, uh, and they, <laughs> we are a stubborn lot. What are rules for, though? What are rules for? Rules are for a number of reasons. I'll give you some ideas of what rules are for. Rules are for keeping us safe. Do not jump off the cliff. A rule to keep you safe. Uh, rules are there to keep us out of trouble. Uh, keep us from getting in trouble. Rules are there for efficiency. You might think of a company uh, would have rules on how employees are to do their job. And in the isolated situation, the rule may not make much sense. But in the grand scheme of the whole company, they have these rules in order to create uh, efficiency. Or in organizations, nonprofits, maybe churches, maybe fraternal organizations, there are rules that help us establish identity and purpose. We do things this way because that's how we do it. And that establishes uh, who we are. And our passage this morning, the title of the passage is God's Rules. We're going to talk about God's rules. And basically two big ideas, very, very simple thing to understand uh, whether or not you buy it or not. That's up to you. God's rules, here are the two things we're going to talk about, verses 27 and 28. God's rules make us right, and God's rules must be followed. Now, I phrased that in such a way to annoy some of you. Are you annoyed yet? Yeah, we have not yet begun to annoy you. God's rules make us right, and God's rules must be followed. Two very, very basic ideas, and I want to show us how this works in verses 27 and 28. So let's start with it. Let me read verses 27 and 28 again. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law or rules, as we're saying here? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. God's rules make us right. A couple of quick things about rules in workplace. I decided this week to look up some very strange workplace rules as a way of just getting us thinking about rules. There's one electronics retail outlet. They're going to remain nameless. And they have a rule for their customer service employees. They are not allowed to correct customers regardless of how factually incorrect the customer actually is. They are forbidden from correcting the customer. Uh, and, and, and this maybe takes the customers already always right to sort of the next level. And of course, once this sort of got known, 
that this particular digital or electronic store couldn't correct our customers, people with too much time on their hands, started going into the store to see how crazy they could say things and not be corrected. And what the employee would say if they just made things up out of the blue and, and the employees would do all kinds of mental gymnastics to avoid correcting the customer. It's a very strange rule. Why would a company have that rule? There's another company that uh, their rule is you can only be in the bathroom for seven minutes at a time. Seven minutes. And when you go into the restroom, you use your employee ID card to scan into the restroom and to scan out so the manager at his desk is able to determine how long your visit took. I don't know what manager would want to have that conversation. Um, finally, there's a government official, not in the United States, but over in Europe, that when this government official walked into a room, all of their employees had to stand up. The cafeteria, in the lobby, in the office, wherever. When this person walked in the room, they had to stand up out of deference and respect. Now, the, and, and these rules are crazy. You're like, why would anybody follow these rules? But you can sort of get it. With the retail outlet, yes, you don't want to correct customers because what they don't want is their employees condescending and treating their customers like they're dumb. Nobody likes that. Have you ever been to a store and the employee treats you like you're an idiot? It's annoying. And uh, I mean, that's what I've heard. Um, uh, but, and so they make this rule so that this never happens to their customers. But then broadly, that becomes difficult to apply. And you can imagine reasons why a bathroom rule might exist. Maybe employees are spending too much time in the restroom. Work has to get done. And if everybody's in the restroom all day, it's hard to get work done. And why would somebody have their, why would a boss have their employees stand up? Well, maybe this uh, organization struggled with understanding chain of command and authority. They're using it to affirm that. Who knows why? But these rules existed for reasons. They may not have made place, but here's what we have to understand about relating to God. Whether we like it or not, we relate to God. We are made right before God by his rules. God's rules make us right before God. His rule is the way in which we are able to have a relationship with him. Now, before you storm out, let's add a little something to our title. Look at the end of verse 27, if you have your scripture out. What kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by what? The law of faith. So let me add to my title here so you don't storm out. God's rules of faith make us right. God's law of faith makes us right. We are not made right before God by a law of works, but rather by a law of faith. That is, there is only one way to relate to God in right relationship, and it is through faith, not works. But it's not a, a law of faith that says you can believe anything you want. It is, in fact, a very specific thing we must believe, and it is a person, it is Christ. So let's begin at the top of verse 27 again, just to remind ourselves. What becomes of boasting in terms of our relationship with God? What place is there for boasting in our relationship with God? And many of you, when you walked in, you didn't walk in and say, I'm a pretty amazing Christian. I didn't hear that in the lobby as I was walking through. What is this boasting? It's not always walking around saying, I am the cat's meow when it comes to God, and God is so lucky to have me on uh, the Christian team. What, what it could also present itself as in, in our hearts, in our inner person, we would think of it this way. Maybe as a Christian, you might think this. I had to get saved from my sin 
Thankfully, though, I didn't have to get saved from as much sin as that guy. So certainly I'm a Christian. Certainly I needed Jesus. But really, I didn't need as much of Jesus as that guy. That guy was lucky Jesus did it all the way because he would be toast. Fortunately for me, I didn't have to get saved as much. See, it's kind of a bit of a boasting. Like, thankfully, I'm, yeah, I know I had to get saved from my sin, but I'm still a pretty good guy. I didn't have to get saved from a lot of sin. Or another way of thinking this, when you wake up in the morning or you go to bed at night or when you're navigating through your day and you say, you know what, everything is okay with God and I, what is the reason you feel like everything is okay between you and the Lord? Is it because you did your devotions today? Is it because you prayed today? Is it because you gave money to somebody who needed a little money today? Is it because you shared your faith today? Is it because you showed up at church at 9.30 in the morning? Oh my goodness, it's so early. What is it that here is the reason why I can say, you know what, God and I, we're pretty good. If that reason is anything other than faith in Christ, it's a way in our inner person of having a sense of boasting. I'm okay with God because of this. Now, most Christians wouldn't say that out loud. We say, no, I trust Jesus, but I trust Jesus. And the reason I can trust Jesus is I'm pretty good. We have a sense of in our inner person, I'm toeing the line. I'm following the rules. And what he's saying is here, there is no room for boasting in our relationship with the Lord because the way we relate to God is by faith. Justification or being made righteous or being seen before God's sight with approval is by faith alone. It is not by a law of works. It's by a law of faith only. There's another place this is mentioned. It's worth going to. It's over in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you're welcome to. I think we also will have it uh, up on the screen. It's just a short section, one verse, Galatians 2.16. God says this in his word. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We know a person is not justified by works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. How are you justified? I know this is really easy, but we keep forgetting. Faith in Jesus Christ. Only way. We trust Jesus. That makes us righteous. That's the only way in which we can have righteousness. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me do the math. How many people will be justified by works of the law? Zero. Good. You get an A. But that A doesn't get you into heaven. Sorry, it's not by works of the law. Look, you're trying to come up with new laws. It's unbelievable. We're all legalists at heart. So what we want to understand here is this is fundamentally, and, and so what some people think of faith in Christ is the absence of rules or law, but but Paul is phrasing in this such a way, he's saying, no, faith in Christ is the law. The only way you're going to have access to God is to be made righteous by relying on, depending on, or trusting in Jesus. Now pay attention here, because some of us are saying this in our minds. Now you're not saying out loud, you're saying it in your head. You're arguing with me, I can tell. Look at this group, arguing. You're saying, well, I am saved by faith, but now that I'm a Christian, you know what? I need to be a good Christian. 
I am saved by faith, but I live with Christ by works. That's what we tend to do. And now I know when I say it out loud like that, you go, no, 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 it's all by faith. But then again, when you woke up this morning, you say, you and God are okay. Why is it? Why are you and God okay? Is it because you've been a pretty good Christian for the last week and some of your major hangups haven't been a major hangup this week? Why are things okay with you and Christ? It's not saved by faith, live by works. It's saved by faith, live with Christ by faith. And let me point out, look just above this passage in Galatians chapter 2. It's not on the screen. What happened just before Paul says this? What happened was this. Peter came to the churches in Galatia. Wow, Peter, kind of a celebrity Christian, big time, yeah? So he showed up, and he was hanging out with the churches in Galatia, and pretty soon, some Jewish Christians started showing up. And pretty soon, all the Jews, along with Peter, who was also a Jewish Christian, they started eating together separate from the non-Jews or the Gentiles. Why did they do that? Because Jews follow the law, and they don't have BLTs. They aren't going to go and enjoy the shrimp cocktail because they have certain dietary restrictions. And not only that, their rules defined who they could eat with. So they say, listen, we're all still Christians. We all still love each other. You sit on that side of the row and eat Gentile food. We'll sit on this side of the row and eat Jewish food. We're all still unified. I mean, obviously, we're doing it a little better. Let's just be clear. Right? And so what is happening is Peter has suddenly, in his Christian life, started living according to a law. He has decided he is going to relate to God and his fellow Christians according to a law. And that's where Paul comes in with this. No, no, no. A person is not justified by works of the law. They are justified by faith. There is no place to say, I relate to God well today because I am a good Christian today, because I didn't do this or I did do this. I have a relationship with God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Why? Because Jesus. And that's the only reason. There is no place for boasting. There is no place for a sense in our hearts of a pride of achievement. There is no sense in our heart to think, I have finally done something for God. That is something that has, has no place in the heart of a Christian. Because by works of the law, no one will be saved. And by works of the law is no one holding on to their walk with the Lord. Okay, let's go back to Romans chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. What is a law of faith? Well, the law of faith is basically saying this. It's not faith in anything. We hear this a lot nowadays. You might hear it in the media, on the news, and these kinds of things. Is I am a person of, a person of faith. And we need to understand what faith is. A lot of us have discovered what faith is by watching Disney+. Plus. Disney has redefined faith for an entire generation. Faith in our minds, and we need to understand this is how we work. Faith makes things true. There was an old Peter Pan movie with Robin Williams. What's it called? Somebody knows it. It's called Hook. Okay. And, and I'm not trying to do anything. You know, I just can't remember stuff like that. And there's this scene where Peter Pan, of course, he's an adult. Robin Williams, adult, right? Um, they're eating food. Do you remember the scene? There's nothing on the table. 
Do you remember that? There's, and the kids are all eating. And Robin Williams is like, I'm starving up in here. Where's the food? And what happens is he has to make believe. That's the idea. He's got to get his imagination back. And all of a sudden, when he is able to get to that place of having an imagination and wish upon a star and fairy dust gets sprinkled, all of a sudden his eyes are opened and there's food there. Okay? And so, okay, so what we tend to think is faith makes something true. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing what is true. And guess what? It is true whether you believe it or not. That's what the Bible is teaching us here. That God is God and he saves by Christ. If you want to have a relationship with God, you believe what is true. If you choose not to believe that is true, it doesn't make it less true. It just means you will be trusting something else. The question is, is that something else trustworthy? That's the question. The question is not whether or not my faith can make something true. The question is, is the thing I'm trusting, is it trustworthy? And what the Bible is telling us is the the rule of faith is this. There's only one way to relate to God, and that's in reality. And the reality is, Jesus died for sinners and he rose from the dead. It's a historical fact. It's not a, a inspirational tale to help us do good deeds. It's a historical fact. And if it's not true, why didn't you come to the early service? If it is true, then we may wonder what are we doing with our lives? But the question is not, will my faith make reality? The question is, what is True. And the law of faith is saying this. Jesus died on the cross and took on himself the penalty for our sin. And he rose from the dead and all who trust in him have their sin forgiven and will be raised from the dead with him and live forever. And that's the reality of what is. The question is, do we trust him? And if we trust that Jesus paid for our sin and if we trust that he gives us new life, why in the world do we think we have to earn God's favor as Christians? Why did we wake up this morning thinking, okay, I can't do what I did yesterday again because he will smack me upside the head. God is going to be displeased with me. God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ when we have trusted Christ. And that's the rule of faith. The law of faith is the only way to relate to God is by faith. And you're saying, you say that about a hundred times, get over it. When we start believing it, I'll stop saying How about that? Okay. One last thing. The law of faith is that we must trust in Christ alone, and there is no other thing we can do or trust that will get us to Christ. There's a famous saying I have heard before, and it's describing all religions as essentially the same direction. So I've heard it this way. Maybe you've heard this. If you're climbing a mountain, all the trails lead to the summit. Have you heard this before? So uh, you know, you've got all these different trails that lead to the summit, but you know, and they're different trails, they have different flavors, but they're all going to the same place. You've got Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, and you've got Christianity, and Judaism, and, and uh, whatever else, but they're all going to the summit, so really at the end of the day, we're all going to the same destination. So let me just add to that for you. When you go to climb Mount Everest, tell your guide that, and your guide will respond, you're absolutely right, all those trails go to the summit. I'm going to take you on the one where you don't die. That's the, there is only one way to the summit, and it's through Christ. 
And that's the law of faith. And you may say, well, that seems a little bit uh, intolerant. That seems a little bit closed-minded. Again, we're not saying we are creating reality by our faith. We're just saying, what are the facts? Jesus died and rose from the dead. He is God in the flesh, and there is no other. And if there was another, I'd tell you about him, but there isn't because there is no other. Jesus says, trust me and you will be saved. God's rule of faith makes us right. Okay, let's move to the next section, but just one quick comment before we go uh, about good works. Um, We all like doing good works, okay? Everybody likes doing good works. You do something good and it makes you feel good, doesn't it? You're generous to somebody. You give a little bit of time. Now, at first, when you're asked, hey, would you do this for me? What's our first thing? Oh, that's... And then we go do it, and then we can't stop talking about how great it was. That's how... And we all do that. We go kicking and screaming, and then once we do the good thing, we go, you know, man, that felt really good. Why don't I do that more? Because of my terrible attitude. But, you know, we feel good about it. And and actually, broadly in our culture, people like doing good works. There's a thing in our culture called karma now. Karma is this idea, if I do good things, good things will come flowing back to me. If I do bad things, bad things will come flowing back to me. So I'm going to do good things. It makes me feel good because it's kind of like doing a a good luck charm. Some people don't like karma because that seems too religious. And so they'll talk about the universe. The universe is is personified. I've heard people talk. You throw good vibes out into the universe, and the universe is going to throw good vibes your way. Have you heard people talking about this this way? Okay, I'm sorry. My head's exploding here. Apparently, God is hard to believe, but taking the impersonal universe and turning it into a thing is believable. I, don't, I mean, logic at some point just took a walk, okay? But anyway, this is, we, we throw good vibes out and good vibes come back, and, and we feel good about doing good deeds. Uh, one other way for maybe the more secular humanist is the concept of paying it forward. As a person who doesn't really want a spiritual connotation to it, and, and we, this person is saying, you know what? I don't do good deeds just merely because good has been done to me in the past. I'm going to do good knowing that probably sometime even in my future, good will be done to me. And I want to be a good uh, citizen. So we, we pay it forward. We look for good karma. We want the universe to send us good vibes. These are all you know, fantastic in terms of do you, if you do good stuff and you feel good about it, knock your socks off. I got no problem with that. Here's what I have a problem with. If you think doing good is a means to God, it is a total failure. Yes, it can feel good, and yes, it's fantastic, but as a means to ensuring that God and I are on the right terms, it's a total failure. My good deeds are not that good. And my bad deeds are pretty bad. So as a means to having right relationship with God, my good deeds, according to the scripture, are a total failure. The only means by which I can be made right with God is faith in Christ alone. All right. God's rules of faith make us right. Secondly, God's rules of faith must be followed. Look at verses 29, 30, and 31. For we hold... That one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will, excuse me, justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. God's rules of faith make us right, and God's rules of faith must be 
followed. Bill Watterson had uh, his classic comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. Who like Calvin and Hobbes? We all love Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes had a particular activity that would show up on occasion in uh, the comic strip, and it was Calvin Ball. Calvin Ball. I don't know if you know what Calvin Ball is. Basically, Calvin Ball is this. Him and his stuffed tiger are playing a game, and you get to make up any rule you want at any time. So as the game is going, you will change the rule. A touchdown is touching the tree, and then the other person says yes, but also uh, you lose two touchdowns by touching the tree. The job is to make up the rules as you go, and as you're making up the rules, ensure the rules are most advantageous to what you want to accomplish. And as you might expect, Calvin Ball always devolves into total chaos and usually a fight, which is precisely why Calvin and Hobbes enjoyed playing it so much. Our relationship with God is not Calvin Ball. We don't get to wake up each day and decide how are we going to relate to God. And we don't get to wake up each day and decide how are we going to relate to God and sort of bend and flex the rules depending on the things we've been doing good and the things we have not been doing good. God's rule of faith must be followed and he doesn't make these rules up over time. Look at verse, where is it? Verse 29. Is God the God of Jews only, or is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Here's what God is telling us by his word here. God is God of all. He made it all. God is creator and sustainer of the universe. All that is, is because God said, you is. I don't know if that's the right part of speech, but that's how I'm doing it. God is God. Let me put it another way. God does not need you to believe in God in order for God to be God. He is who he is, completely and totally independent of our belief of him. We aren't doing God any favors by believing in him. He isn't up in heaven wringing his hands. If I don't get a certain percentage of humanity to believe in me, I'll stop being God. That's not what he's doing. God is God by his nature, and he doesn't need us to believe in him to be God. And what God is saying is, all humankind must know me in the same way, and that way is to be made right through faith in Christ alone. And he's contrasting here the Jews and the Gentiles, because that's what he's been talking about in the book of Romans. He's saying it's faith in Christ that brings you right relationship with me, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, nothing else. Let me contextualize that just a little bit. Some people think there's a long spectrum of people. There's this end of the side, sorry, this side of the room, where these are the really bad sinners. They do stuff that gets you on TV, right? And then on this side is the religious people. So we've got the good people over here. You're welcome. And for some of you, you're really welcome. No, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so we've got evil over here. We've got good over here. And, and so what we have to know is to know God, we have to be good. So that means depending on where you are on the spectrum, you've got to get up to God. So the further you are over, the closer you are. And then at some point, sprinkle on the fairy dust of Jesus and you're home free. Right? No. The religious and the hedonist, the religious person and the super uh, varsity level sinner, they're two sides of the same coin and the coin is not in heaven, it's somewhere else. To try and know God through religion 
or to try and know God through sin are both going to lead us to the same place. The Gentiles in their arrogance said, I don't need to know God. The Jew in their arrogance says, I know how to know God. Both need to abandon their arrogance and say it's Jesus only. So there's not a spectrum of who's closest to God. It's just Jesus. And that's what he's getting at here. He's saying whether you're super religious, super good, super well-behaved, or whether you're not, the only way you cross the threshold into eternity is faith in Christ. And legalism and living in our own sinful fleshly desires are not two ends of the spectrum. They're two sides of the same coin, which is I can figure out my own way. I don't need God. And that's what he is saying here is God is the God over all and all relate to God by Christ alone. Turn up with me over to Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. We'll get there uh, at this rate in 2025. So look at coming attractions. Romans 8, 3 and 4. Here's what it says. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So here's what he's saying. God did what the law couldn't do. So God gives us a bunch of rules and says, if you do all these things perfectly, you will live forever. And what happens? We're bad at following rules. So we can't do it. That's what it says. The law weakened by our flesh couldn't do anything. All it could do is show us that we're sinners. You put a list of rules, you do these things to know God. All it does is prove it that we don't know God. So he sent his own son as a human and took on himself the condemnation of our rule breaking. That's what it says there. He condemned sin in his flesh. So he took on himself the righteous requirements of the law He took on himself our sin, and he nailed it to the cross. He died on the cross fulfilling the law and taking our sin with him, and so now the law has nothing on us. If the law comes to you and says, because you are a sinner, you should die, what's our response? Already died. Next. Say, well, what are you going to do? Now you're dead. I'm going to be raised from the dead. That's what's awesome about this deal is he takes the sin and pays the penalty for us, and then we are raised from the dead to enjoy it with him forever. Look at verse 4 of Romans 8. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So when we put our faith in Christ, we are unified with Christ. The Bible describes us as being in Christ. The, The requirements of the law were fulfilled by Jesus. And since we're in Jesus... We have, by his obedience, fulfilled the law. And so, therefore, we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does that mean? We still obey God, not in order to earn his favor, but because he's awesome. We obey God, not because we don't need to uh, rub the good luck charm, or not because uh, we need to try and impress him, or not because we need our prayers answered. We do the things that God wants us to do because he's amazing. Why would I not want to do the things he wants me to do? Have you met the guy? He, he died for me. Why would I not give him my life? That's called walking by the Spirit. Obedience not to become righteous. Obedience because I love God who made me righteous. 
The law code is fulfilled in us by Christ. And so by faith, we have right relationship with God. And now we can walk by the Spirit spirit in obedience uh, to God. Okay, back to Romans chapter 3, last couple of verses. Beginning in verse 30. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? No, what did we just say? Faith means Christ has fulfilled the law for us. We're not saying the law doesn't apply. We're saying he took care of it. We're not saying the law is bad because the law is not bad. It's fantastic. Problem is we just can't do it. And now we're saying Christ did it for us. We uphold the law and say Christ fulfilled it for us. A couple of quick things. No matter who you are, no matter where you are from, no matter how smart you are, no matter how much of the Bible you know, no matter how many bad things you have done, the only way to God in righteousness is faith in Jesus. That's it. The only way to God in righteousness is faith in Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ already, the only way to walk with God in righteousness is faith in Jesus. It's not saved by grace, live by works. It's saved by faith, live by faith, die by faith, raised by faith. I think it's by faith. You picking this up? Okay, good. Last thing, to believe Jesus saves means we have to understand we need saving. And every single person, according to the passage uh, Seth preached last week, every single person needs saving. There is not one person who can stand before God righteous. Every single person needs saving. Usually there's two struggles with this in our mind. Number one, one person is saying, you don't know what I've done. There is no way that he could forgive me for that thing. And I might suggest you look at the cross. And you would say that what he did on that cross didn't pay for that sin. The cross was that rugged, that hard, that shameful. It is uh, arrogant to think I can out-sin Christ's suffering. He paid for even that thing. And then you've got others of us who aren't completely convinced we need saving. We've been pretty good. We haven't done anything terrible. You might pray that the Holy Spirit would show you what your heart is really like so that we might rest in him by faith. Okay, three quick things and then we'll close. What is boasting? A couple of things you might think about in terms of boasting because some of you are real boasters, but you're really good at hiding it. You're welcome. Boasting is saving face. Saving face. I don't mind that people know I was saved by grace from all my sins before I was saved, but the last thing I will ever do is tell people I have sinned since getting saved. And so I'm going to try and keep my sense of righteousness in the body of believers based on not Christ, but I've been good since I got saved. I'm going to let you in on a secret. We know you're sinning. I mean, we know because you're human. And so it's better in community to set aside our need to save face and have some relationships in the Christian community where you can be honest and say, I'm struggling, I need your prayer, I need your help, okay? Another way we boast is we want to pay God back. Yeah, I, I did something bad this week, and so therefore I need to do a bunch of good deeds. I know God forgave me by faith, but you know, I should, it, this seems like a tipping situation. Like maybe I should do some good deeds, just sign a tip of the hat, thanks buddy. That's boasting. No, you don't get to pay God back for making you righteous. Finally, another way we boast is sort of managing our reputation with others, trying to make sure everybody sees the best side of us. That's a way of boasting. 
Some of us here maybe don't know the Lord and we say, you know what, I, that sounds great. The problem is I've met some religious people and, and I'm not like them. In fact, I don't like them. Listen, I've met some religious people too. I agree totally. The issue here is not do I trust people? The issue is do I trust Jesus? The question is, is God who he says he is? And is the way in which I relate to God Christ or not? As it turns out, God saves sinners. So it doesn't surprise me at all when people in Christ aren't fantastic all the time. The question is not whether or not religious people are worth believing. The question is Jesus worth believing. Finally, this, there's only one way of faith in Jesus, only one way to be right, and that's to obey God and trust him alone. 